and Apex Lab Podcast. Hey there, welcome to the Level Up Engineering Podcast, where we speak to the most experienced technology leaders from around the world. So stay with us to learn actionable management insights to take your engineering team to the next level. This show is powered by Apex Lab, a team of experts in end-to-end digital product development. ApexLab.io Today, my guest is Jonathan Rasmussen, author of Competing with Unicorns. With that said, um, we have a giveaway. Three copies of Jonathan's ebook, Competing with Unicorns, are to be given away amongst our listeners. Details to participate are in the description. However, if you don't want to wait for the raffle or aren't feeling lucky, listeners of the Level Up Engineering podcast get a 25% discount if they buy Competing with Unicorns from now through to the end of the year. Purchase the book at pragprog.com. That's P-R-A-G-P-R-O-G.com with the promo code in the show notes. And with that said, let's get back to the show. Jonathan is here with me, and Jonathan has helped some of the world's leading software companies find better ways of working together and uh, ship higher quality products faster and compete with the unicorns. So um, with no further ado, hi, Jonathan. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Kalina. How are you? I am feeling pretty good. I hope you are too. Please Tell us a bit about yourself and uh, what your passions are. Sure. So I'm uh, right now working as a iOS engineer, and uh, I've had a mostly a career in development and tech. I got early on just just programming in early days with Java and web, and then moved on to .NET, and then the agile thing hit, and I spent some time in the agile world. But uh, it was actually when I moved to uh, work with Spotify in Sweden that I rediscovered my passion for engineering. So since then I flipped back into engineering, I'm now a full-time iOS developer. And uh, while I was at Spotify, I just noticed some really interesting things they were doing in terms of how they were executing, building product and running the company. And that's what sort of led me to get into writing this book and wanted to share that with uh, the rest of the world, just if they wanted to see how it was done. Awesome, awesome, thank you so much. Um... With that said, our topic today is, um, quite frankly, competing with unicorns. So um, let's jump in by clarifying some definitions for ourselves. Um, What's the difference between the big company and the startup way of working? Yeah, I'd say that the biggest difference is sort of the goals of what each is really after. So anyone who's written software for a big enterprise or big company knows that a lot of software that gets written is really in the name of automation and efficiency. So quite often they're taking paper-based systems, they're automating back office work, and they're really improving efficiency by just automating what a lot of humans used to do manually. So these are known requirements, known projects, they just need to execute. And a lot of it is driven from budgets and timelines and things like that. Startups are completely different in that they don't know yet a whole host of things uh, when it comes to their their product. They don't know exactly what their product needs to do. They're sometimes not even sure who their customers are. 
they're looking for this thing called product market fit. So what that tilts them towards doing is thinking about software much differently. They need to go out there and explore and find out what they need to build in order to be successful. So that tilts them way more into the learning camp and way less into what I call the expectation setting camp, which is how most enterprise software gets written. Mm -hmm. It seems like they are driven by completely different principles. How would you define the difference between a high-performing team, one that you just described, and a mediocre one, if we can say that, a mediocre team? That's a really good question. I mean, anyone who's probably worked in a really big, slow-moving enterprise can sometimes find that not everyone is, is really, really motivated. And when I was at Spotify and when I worked with some other companies, I found the motivation for other engineers and, and people in the company just through the roof. So, you know, why is that? And what I found it really came down to is two things. One, empowerment, and two, the level of trust. Those two things, when given to a team, I find can really turn a mediocre or lower performing team into more of a high performing team. If you engage the team, and instead of just telling them, here, do this, but instead ask them, and give them a goal and let them kind of figure out how to get there themselves. They become much more engaged. They have a lot more ownership in what it is they're building. And that ultimately leads to higher quality software and product. So could you give us some specifics as to, as to how to motivate them or, or what could be some of the strategies that uh, a leader could take? Yeah. So, let me back up. I'll just tell you maybe a short story. So back in 2014 or 15, Sony came to Spotify and said, hey, our music service is going away. We want to put uh, Spotify onto the Sony PlayStation. And this was a really big project within the company. It took a lot of people and a lot of teams right across the organization. And I was the coach of the team that was building this. And one day in a meeting, I could just see that we were behind schedule. I mean, the date was coming up, the team wasn't quite executing at the speed that they needed to, and uh, I thought we were in trouble. Every week we had an all-hands meeting where we got together for lunch, and I basically told everyone there that, uh, hey, I think the date's in jeopardy, you know, what should we do? And any other company, more traditional company I had been in, you know, this would have generated a lot of action <laughs> activity. You know, people would have been pounding the table, how can we be late? You know, what do we need to do? And, uh, you know, a lot of commands coming from up top. But instead, the program director at the time uh, basically turned to me and said, well, Jonathan, thank you for that information. We'll let the team tell us if they think there's a problem. And in the team, we trust. And then she quietly, then we just broke up the meeting and moved on. And I left that meeting room going, what just happened here? I mean, this would have never happened at the previous company I would have been at. They're the CEO, everyone would have been really up in arms. Everyone would have demanded a lot of action. But what it really showed me, first of all, was that Spotify put a lot of trust in their teams. And I also looked around and noticed, hey, since I've been here, why haven't I heard the, the word project or budget in my entire time that I've been here? Right before I came to Spotify, I was actually doing some project management. And after being there for about a year, I realized they're not doing budgets. And in fact, they're not even running these things called projects. There's not even a ton of like project managers around here. And that's what really clued me in that they're doing something differently. 
So getting back to your question, what Spotify does differently than other companies in terms of motivating and giving people this level of empowerment and trust is instead of telling them what to do, say in the form of a project with known requirements and asking the team to simply chop the vegetables, what they do instead is they give them a mission, like bring music to uh, Sony or win the living room or make the car experience the ultimate driving experience you can. And then they trust that team or what they sometimes call a squad to figure out how to get there. So instead of telling the team what to do, they give them the mission and then they support them in getting there by letting the team basically say, this is what we need to do. And that has a whole bunch of implications in terms of how you organize, how you create work and ultimately how you execute. That sounds really awesome. And like I buy it, but then also I feel it kind of sounds like too good to be true. I know. Um, <laughs> would you Would you say something to that? Would, mm -hmm. you, would you address that? Yeah, that's the reaction I get from a lot of people. So, so I'm from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. And I knew one day I'd be returning to Canada from Sweden. And the whole time I was there, I was trying to figure out how am I going to explain this to people back home? Because they're just not going to believe the way that this company works. I, the exact same reaction that, um, that you just gave me. And even to this day, I mean, Spotify and companies grow. So when I wrote Unicorns, that was at a moment in time uh, for, for three years from, say, uh, 2014 to 2017. And of course, Spotify has grown since then. They've had an IPO. They've gone public. But getting back to it sounds too good to be true. All I can say is that it's not just Spotify that works this way. I mean, it's it's Facebook. Every company has a slightly different culture, but you know, Facebook, very concerned about shipping product. Uh, Google, very, very into engineering and hardcore engineering problems. Apple's very much into design. Designers tend to have a lot of power there. And Netflix likes to think of themselves as a sports team. But at the end of the day, what they all have in common is they all prefer to have employees direct their own work as much as possible by giving them these goals and then really assisting them in getting there. If it sounds a little bit like a utopia in terms of what I just described, how Spotify does it, well, that's what they did in their case and it worked for them. But these other bigger companies, companies much bigger than Spotify, they're doing this similar kind of mission-led, mission-driven work and it's, it's definitely paid off. I mean, these companies execute very well. One of the biggest motivators I had for writing the book was trying to show traditional enterprise companies how they're getting out executed. I mean, it's not even a fair fight. When a, when a large cable company comes up against Google and they're competing in markets, like they're gonna get out executed severely, partially just because of how these companies organize, how they work and how they really view their people more as contributors to the ideas and, and coming up with work themselves instead of just the, the backs of people who are given work and then told what to do. Mm -hmm. So would you define what you just described as the startup mindset of like trying to achieve a shared goal? Yeah, I, th I think in terms of, of, of execution, something. So one of the problems that all of these uh, unicorns faced at one point is they were all startups. They were all very small companies. And they all realize the efficiency and speed that comes with being small, being agile, and being able to 
pivot, move, and execute very, very fast. When they start to scale, however, that becomes a problem. What works in a, well for a company of 10 starts to break down when you get 40, 80, or 100 people. Uh, you can't move things quite as quickly. There's more people and, and coordination right across the company. There's more moving parts. So what these companies try to do is they try to scale to an enterprise level while keeping the startup attitude and mentality that small teams have local. So one way they do that is they have the vehicle for doing it is really the small autonomous team. So teams typically of uh, five to 10 people, say, engineers, designers, uh, maybe a backend person if they need some web services. And that small team becomes core responsible for a part of the product. And then they build the rest of the company around that. That's what I found really, really interesting with Spotify is they create these small autonomous teams, give them responsibility over a key part of the application, and then they build the org structure around them. So that's, tried, that's how they try to keep the startup mentality as they grow and scale into something bigger. Mm -hmm. I, I have read some about the, the Spotify way or Spotify model. Would you give us some some processes or, or ideas as to how we could see for ourselves if we are at a bigger company, how this might work? Yeah, I mean, mechanically, there's it's explained pretty well. A gentleman by the name of Henrik Knieberg, if you, if you Google Spotify engineering, he's got a really good video that sort of breaks down how Spotify squads, tribes, chapters. These are all terms that Spotify came up with to describe their organizational model. There's really good videos that, that sort of walk people through that. What I would say is that's the easy part. I mean, it's really easy to watch the video and, and, and say to your team, hey, everyone, let's organize ourselves as squads. Let's have groups of squads form into tribes, a bigger part of the organization. And then if we want to communicate across the organization, uh, we'll set up something called a guild. So maybe all the iOS developers can meet right across the organization. They're not limited by the groups they're working in. And for local management, we'll have a concept of something called a chapter where that's where your frontline engine, uh, manager would live. Uh, this would be the QA manager for whom all the people in the tribe would report to. That's just a, one org structure they came up with. And people, I know a lot of companies around the world are trying to organize something like that. That's the easy part. The hard part really comes back to this empowerment and trust. In other words, none of this stuff really works unless senior management really buys into the notion of stepping back, taking the hands off a little bit, and letting these autonomous teams kind of succeed and fail a little bit on their own. And that can be a real challenge for an experienced senior executive who uh, knows the company very well, is used to riding in and saving the day, and likes coming in and just rallying the troops and doing everything themselves, kind of from a top-down point of view. There's a lot of people who've been very successful by that. But if you continue to do that, then that executive you know, becomes the hero. That's the person that solves the problem all the time. And the team ends up not thinking they have to take much responsibility. They'll just wait for that magical moment to happen. Mm. So it's, it's, it's easy to, to say, let's just organize ourselves and do these things by watching these great videos. But in practice, it really takes a, a cultural shift in terms of thinking about how we're going to work as a team, whether or not we're going to let that team to some degree fail and, and every company is going to have a different degree of comfort with that. So that's, that's the challenge as I see it. 
All right, I feel that uh, we are we are getting into the the real meaty part of this. So, so what I hear you say is that one of the biggest mistake is taking these processes and applying them without further thought as to how people need to need to change for themselves. What should um, the leaders of such companies who want to make this shift think about for themselves? You mentioned the limits of how much you need to let a group of engineers fail, for example. Is there a magic number or or timeline that um, one needs to adhere to? That's a really good question. And it's it's tough because the advantage that a lot of these younger startups have is they don't have any baggage or history, organizational history that comes with you know working this way. So Spotify, for example, was incorporated in 2006. Uh, when I joined, there was about 700 people. So not a startup, but certainly growing and getting bigger. But it was still a relatively small organization. And they could just do things because they didn't have a lot of history or weight stopping them. What larger companies have is they've got a lot of organizational weight uh, in terms of how they're already set up. And sometimes making these suggestions to do these things can be quite tough. Let me give you an example. So at Spotify, when a tribe got too big, in other words, if there was more than say 100 or 120 people within a tribe, the leaders at the time would say, okay, this is getting unmanageable. Let's see if we can break this up. And they would do a re kind of a reorg. They would take the tribe, break it into two, teams would be reformed, people would move around, and they really just essentially blow up their current organizational structure and morph into a completely new one. Now that's fine if you're new, you have a relatively flat hierarchy and you don't have your heart set on being the, say the CIO of, of the company. However, older companies with departments in that, they may not be so keen to blow up their departments and reorganize in the name of efficiency because the business has changed. They're now moving into other areas. There's a lot of people with very entrenched interests in maintaining what they have, maybe not wanting to collaborate as much as they need to with the rest of the organization. And what I find it really comes down to is the incentives and how people within leadership particularly is uh, rewarded and promoted within an organization. If you have a very narrow band of incentives where basically you only need to worry about your organization, your numbers, and not necessarily how your peers are doing, that's going to optimize naturally yourself with your near area. But really what might need to be done is you might need to give up your best engineer to another part of the organization to help them out because that's what the company needs right now. That would make the most sense. So that's just one of the challenges I find with, with doing this. I, in terms of, I don't think there's a hard deadline or anything. I think how people can start is just by taking these little steps, even within their own groups and departments, and just as a manager or leader, I think the first step is just to understand that you don't have to have the answer to everything. You don't need to run in and save the day. And in fact, there are times under safe circumstances where it might be better just to let your team try something, even if you think it's gonna fail. Uh, I know I've done this and it's been scary. I can see that the team is maybe doing something not quite the way I would like. Maybe they've set up the code base or the infrastructure, or they're gonna solve a problem in a way that I think is gonna solve, give them problems. But I'll tell you what, more times often than not, 
I've been proven wrong and the team has actually come up with something better than what I thought. And that was a real lesson for me, realizing that I don't have all the answers, you know, even though I've been around a lot longer than these younger people sometimes I'm, I'm working with, I should never discount the power of giving someone responsibility for solving the problem and then letting them see how they solve it themselves. Thank you for sharing that. I think that's like one of the first steps that a leader needs to be able to take when transforming, it seems. So what what I hear you say is that really these incentives should be reorganized around the entire organization's goals and maybe be more about the customer and the end goal of the entire company rather than the department's goals for themselves. Is that right? Yeah, that's a really, really good way of, of summarizing it, Carolina. And and one, so two thoughts come to mind there. One, uh, when I first joined Spotify, I was amazed at how much data was made available to me. Anything I wanted to know about customers, uh, signups, uh, performance, all this data that would normally be locked up and kept at the higher levels of the company was available. All the financials, everything, like a lot of sensitive information. And that came from the philosophy that Spotify adopted, which was people make better decisions when they're given all the data. And one number or two numbers that kept coming up all the time in town halls, and you heard leadership talk a lot about, it was very easy for Spotify. It was how many monthly active users do we have? How many people are paying for this product every month? And then secondly, how many new signups do we have? Like, are we growing? And those were two amazing numbers that really enabled you to encapsulate the success of the company just with these two metrics. And that was, that was powerful because you could ask yourself, is what I'm about to do here going to either in, potentially convert someone from the free tier to being a paid customer or get more uh, signups? Now you can do so much technically, you can do so much with products. Sometimes it's, it's commercial things that need to be worked out like relationships with labels and things like that. But those two metrics company-wide I found were really powerful for aligning and organizing teams uh, towards working towards one goal. And I typically don't see that in really bigger enterprises. That could be more of a challenge. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And with that said, I feel like there is um a highlight of this of this conversation so far about really leaders having to think about this cultural shift and their own goals and and how much responsibility they want to let go of even if that means the team making some mistakes on the way but according to your experience what performance management system um, did high performing teams implement um, what worked well? Yeah, that's a good question. And I'm, I'm no expert on performance management systems. I mean, I'll tell you what I know. I mean, there were, I think for lack of a better term, these things called KPIs or key performance indicators that were sometimes talked about strategically, like for a given quarter, you know, what were we trying to achieve? And that would help, I think, direct some of the high level strategy in terms of what would be going on within a company. But down on the ground, and I should say that while I was at Spotify, I was a, an agile coach for a while, but then I flipped to being, uh, becoming an iOS engineer because I wanted to get back in the trenches. So I'm talking from that point of view now. 
when you're down and the team's actually doing the work, what I found was a, a good management mechanism that Spotify and a lot of these other tech companies have is uh, the weekly one-on-one -on -one was really good. So this is a one-on-one -on -one with your manager where you could get together and different managers had slightly different ways of doing this. But my manager, a wonderful manager who was uh, much younger than me, but was probably the best manager I've ever had, really made this a session about how can I help you become more productive as an engineer or Jonathan, like what's stopping you from doing your best work? And he really came and helped me not only take things I was working on, for example, I was trying to create a course to explain to engineers how to do unit testing and test driven design. I said, okay, Jonathan, that's great that you've got this, this XP style, extreme programming style course. How can we take that organizationally? Like, could there be other groups within the company, not just our tribe, but either in New York or Gothenburg, could they benefit from this? And that just got me thinking. He got me thinking bigger. He challenged me in great ways. That mechanism was really, really fantastic. And I don't know that a lot of traditional enterprises offer that kind of servant leadership to their employees from their managers. A lot of time you can go into a quarterly performance review you have to go over some bullet lists created four or six months ago about some things that you said you wanted to do and then report on whether you did them. You know, it's not exactly that motivating and you're almost there for the manager because the manager is now going to evaluate you and, and help figure out, you know, whether you should get promoted or raised or what have you. But that one-on-one -on -one I found was a really great mechanism for, for people on the ground doing the work. And uh, that was really effective for me. Mm -hmm. You are someone who likes to look at the bigger picture and and understand the, the inner workings of the entire organization while you are also a seasoned engineer but would you would you advise tech leaders who are listening to us to try out this approach and um, and share uh, maybe more than they are used to sharing with their individual contributors about the inner workings of the company oh yeah um, absolutely. I mean, part of the goal, there were really two parts. One was my manager there was there to help me, a gentleman by the name of Marcus Froding, who's got a wonderful YouTube channel on managers that he just started up recently. But um, the other part was for him to explain to me what was going on in the greater parts of the organization. So managers and leaders have exposure to things higher up that I think is a, is a good key responsibility for them to assimilate back down and share with you know, everyone else uh, who can't necessarily be in those rooms when high level strategy is being discussed or they're talking about the goals for the upcoming year. That's part of management's responsibility, I think, is to take those messages and help communicate them down. So he would give me insight in terms of, you know, here's what the company's thinking. Here's why you've heard there's currently a hiring freeze. Uh, we're not hiring anymore at this time. Or here's where we're hiring up right now. We're trying to hire, you know, 100 engineers in the next four months or whatever. So he could give that that timing, that insight, um, explain things that were going on much higher up in the company, which would really help frame the context. And and it's really up to the individual. I, I like knowing what's going on up higher in the organization, but some people are quite fine just staying local and they don't need to know as many details. So they might not spend as much time on that. But mm -hmm. it's really up to the uh, that engineer and their, their manager. Mm-hmm. Thank you. So we talked about what if things are going well and how to motivate and incentivize and, and, and all that jazz. But um, what could you say to someone who is 
perhaps on the verge of a crisis right now. Someone who can see that their team is not doing the best work that they could be doing. Someone whose team might be, you know, missing deadlines or, or milestones. What should they do to start? Yeah, really, really good question. I, I think, so two things, let's talk about why maybe the, the team is not performing well, and then two, we'll touch on deadlines. One neat trick I found really insightful for understanding why people do the things they do is to try to put yourself in their shoes and empathize with what a workday might look like for them. So I'm gonna make, I'll make this up and maybe this is the situation, maybe it's not, but if there's a team that's not performing well and you're, you're the tech lead for that group, put yourself in their shoes and ask yourself, well, why is everyone so miserable? How much direction do they get to give in their work? Um, are they asked or given a say in the work that they're doing? Are they being told what to do? Are their voices heard? Or, or are we just ignoring them? Like basically they've been telling us for the last maybe six months or a year that the back end simply can't handle the load that we're putting on it, or there's a major need for a refactoring or some kind of restructuring to go on in order to give us the capability to add these new features we want. If we're continuously ignoring them and just we're so deadline driven that there's no opportunity for them to either improve the workplace, uh, either in code or the product that they're building, or they just don't feel like they've got a voice, well, put yourself in their shoes and ask yourself, how would you feel? You'd probably be pretty miserable too. And then when it comes to things like deadlines, something I like to ask is, well, where did the deadline come from? Like who came up with the deadline? Did the team come up with the deadline? Were they given an opportunity to look at the work, figure out how long I think it would take, and then that became the deadline? Or is this a bullet point from a quarterly review meeting uh, last year from some high VP somewhere who just said, do it by this date or else. That's not a great way to get buy-in <laughs> necessarily. Like the deadline could be wrong. There could be no way that that deadline is ever gonna be hit. So if a company's perpetually missing deadlines and they always feel like they can't seem to, to hit the mark on any of that, I would analyze the process and ask, you know, who's coming up with the deadlines? What's the purpose that the deadline is serving? And then just really look hard and see whether or not those deadlines are working for us or or maybe not. Maybe we need to revisit how we how we come up with those numbers in the first place. Uh -huh. um, my takeaway from what what I've heard is that in both the the organizational development and the individual contributors development, you kind of have to look behind the scenes, see what's behind the curtain. You know where did those deadlines come from? Why is your team miserable, as you said? Um, so if you are a Let's say. Um, and I'll add one thing. It's not always black and white. I mean, the ultimate for any team at Spotify was when they could basically release their feature or their software and they were ready. I mean, that's great. That's easy. As, as, as the squad, you work on your feature, say it's adding some new sharing capabilities to a playlist. You work on it, you test it, you design it. So you're really comfortable and you really like how it looks. And then you ship it when you're ready. I mean, that's the perfect, that's the Valhalla dream of how we'd like to do these things. That's the ideal scenario. There are times, however, where there are real hard deadlines. An example would be that Sony project. On March 12th, we really needed to have Spotify ready to go on the PlayStation 3 and the PlayStation 4, and that date wasn't moving. That was a hard date, that was a hard deadline, 
And ideally, I think we would have had a couple more months to work on it, but we didn't have time. So the team really had to crunch. It wasn't ideal. There was a lot of technical debt that was piled up and they paid for it after. But ultimately we did hit the deadline and it did ship. So what I'm trying to say with this is it's not always an either or. There are certain, I mean, context always matters. But when they could, they tried to let the team come up with the deadline and ship when they were ready. And then as best as they can manage those really hard deadlines when they did come around and, and support the teams in getting there. Mm-hmm. And there's one other mechanism that we haven't talked about, Carolina, that I should probably mention here. And that's something called the company bet. What mm-hmm. Spotify, and I think they got this from Google, what they do is they have a running list of what they call company bets. These are the top 10 things anyone in the company could be working on at this moment. You can think of it as a, as a project, but it's not a traditional project in terms of time and budget. What it is basically is a prioritized list of, of big rock moving initiatives. And that if we did these 10 things this year, we'd have a very good year. So in Spotify's case, it could be, we're gonna do a launch in Japan, or we're gonna get Spotify into the Google Chromecast. In the case with this Sony project, it was the number one company bet for about four months while the company was executing. And what that meant is if you needed anything or you were on the team doing the work in order to meet this bet, the company would was really asked to rally around you and give you what you needed or wanted. So sometimes if you need to access to a meeting room, if you needed access to a specific engineer who is really good at login or payment, you could, because you're the number one bet within the company, the chances were very good that you would get what you were looking for. They would come help you out and then go back to their day to daytime job after. So that was a really effective mechanism that that's one thing I think traditional companies could absolutely take away and start applying today have a prioritized bet list of what are the most important initiatives they're working on within their companies, have a way of communicating that out, and then see if you can get work aligned to that. Because then the rest of the smaller stuff doesn't really matter. I mean, yes, there's always operational stuff. Yes, we always need to maintain and keep production up for the systems we're working on. But in terms of really putting a dent in that company's outcome for the year, if you have a way of communicating that, that helps everyone else within the company align. And that was a really, really powerful uh, tool that I thought they had. I love it. I like I am actually taken aback. That um, sounds like a really awesome system to to kind of align the work that everybody's doing and make sure that the actual outcomes important for the company are coming out. Thank you for sharing that. Is there anything else that we haven't covered and you think is important for our listeners to know? One other thing I found interesting, and of course, companies change as they mature. Uh, and that is that obviously at a tech-driven company like Spotify or some of these other unicorns, it is technology or some kind of insight or what we call a counterintuitive bet that really enables them to go out there and create these, these brand new wonderful products that a lot of us know and love. In the case of Spotify, it was the bet that people would want to listen to all the music in the world streamed as opposed to buying individual tracks from say iTunes, like Apple did at the time. In order to do that, that took a lot of technology and a lot of heavy lifting. How do you make streaming over HTTP work flawlessly when you touch a button, say on your, your iPhone? Like that was a really hard problem to solve. The web wasn't really set up for that uh, back in the earlier days. But what all these 
tech companies do in order for them to do that, they make tech a first class citizen in their company. And I'm not saying tech has is, is the most important thing. You have to make it number one, but I think traditional companies could benefit from understanding that investments in technology and having a really sound foundation for how their, their products work is what enables a lot of these companies like Spotify and that to iterate really, really fast. So as a simple example, if you go to your local cable company or telco and try to sign up as a customer there, it can sometimes be a really clunky experience. And this could be a cable company that's been in your country for 40 years. No one knows their customers better than they do. Yet when you compare that to Netflix, Netflix is seamless. Like they've got a beautiful onboarding process. You create an account, you're watching a TV show in like minutes. Whereas if I try to get something set up with cable or I have a problem, I can have hours of frustration on the phone. And it's the underlying systems that these companies build that are super sound, that they invest in, that enables them to, to move very quickly. So what I'm, what I'm really trying to say is these, initially at least these, tech, these companies are more tech driven and to really get good at technology and to use that as an enabler to do better things, uh, you need to invest in it. Because if you keep it secondary and you don't, uh, it's, it's gonna be tough and it's gonna be hard to keep up with these unicorns as they execute. Right all the while paying attention to your customers as well. Absolutely, yeah. Awesome, thank you so much. We have covered a lot today. I am sure our listeners would love to follow your work. Where should they do that? I have a blog called Agile Warrior, where I, agilewarrior.wordpress.com, where I periodically uh, put up some writings uh, about things I'm thinking about in terms of software and that. Uh, right now, I am spending more time in iOS development. So if any iOS developers up there are interested in learning about how to build apps on the phone, they can check me out there too. But that's really the best place to keep track of things I'm currently working on and uh, what I'm currently looking at. Awesome. Agile Warrior. All right. Thank you so much. Dearest listeners, be sure to follow Jonathan's work. And also don't forget to check out the show notes for a chance to win one of three copies of Jonathan's ebook, which is titled Competing with Unicorns. Today, my guest was Jonathan Rasmussen. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Carolina. Bye-bye. Uh, Bye-bye. Dearest listeners, thank you so much for Sticking with us till the end, I am Carolina Toth, and I hope to see you next time. Thanks for staying with us. This was the Level Up Engineering Podcast by Apex Lab. Check them out at apexlab.io. And don't forget to subscribe to our channel, rate our content, and share your thoughts on this episode. See you next time.